Hi everyone, I'm Gary Nall. Nice to have you with us today. We begin our program with the University of Maine study about blueberries. And why blueberries? Because they can help protect against metabolic syndrome. Well, that's a big deal. You're talking about diabetes, heart disease, high blood pressure. And when you consider how many Americans suffer from just diabetes or prediabetes, it's 100 million. Now, some of the same number also suffer from obesity, hypertension, and some form of uh, heart disease. So we're really looking at about 150 million Americans. Wow. That's almost 40% of the entire American population. So anything that is natural, non-toxic, that can help them, good. And this was published in Applied Physiology, Nutrition, and Metabolism. And here's what it says. That the universities, University of Maine did a study, and they found a very protective effect for wild blueberries against some of the adverse effects related to metabolic syndrome, which increases as we all know, the risk of heart disease and diabetes. The, here's what they quote, quote, the metabolic syndrome is a group of risk factors characterized by obesity, hypertension, inflammation, uh, glucose intolerance, and insulin resistance, and endothelial dysfunction, end quote. And so as a result, the wild blueberries enriched in the diet made a big difference. So have one cup of wild blueberries each day. Throw them in a smoothie, throw them in a hot cereal, or just eat them. Get them into your body to make a big difference. Well, mind you, we've already seen studies that wild blueberries help with cognitive uh, deficiency, and they're a great antioxidant, and they're good for the heart, and they're an anti-aging fruit. Now, from the University of California at Irvine comes a study about nicotinamide, riboside, and it prevents hearing loss progression in mice. And that's just a form of vitamin B3. It's also known as NAD. And uh, it was published in Aging Cell, the peer-reviewed journal. And the NAD+, plus, which by the way is actually a coenzyme found in all living tissues, and it supports energy metabolism. Now when you take it orally, which occurs in vegetables and other foods, it increases the NAD levels in your tissues and organs, and that includes your heart and your brain. And we know that age-relating hearing loss is the most common type of sensorial hearing loss. So by taking, I would say, 100 to 200 milligrams a day of NAD+, it, uh, it impacts the inner ear known as the cochla, in two-month-old and 12-month-old mice, and it also helps older mice as well. By the way, this is one of the five most important anti-aging nutrients you can take, NAD+. One of our problems in the United States is that we're just too sedentary. We sit in cars, we sit in commutes, on trains, we fly a lot, and some people are regularly flying because of their business, uh, we watch television, we're at, on our desks or laptops. We just spend way too much time. That's not good for us. How bad is it? Well, according to the British Medical Journal Open and from the Kunming Medical University in China, 
six-plus hours a day of sedentary leisure time is linked to a doubling in fibroids risk. So again, clocking up to six hours or more total, not just all at once, in a day. And uh, for every day may double a woman's risk of uterine fibroids before she's gone through the menopause. That's very important. So keep active. You know, keep active. And we don't want anyone having fibroids. These are more often than not benign, but potentially large and painful. And uh, these are womb growths, and they seem to rise in tandem to the amount of time spent sitting or lying down during the day. So also, I've shown an association in my own research with the amount of caffeine a person takes in. So give up the coffee and help yourself. And just understand, this is for all women. Sedentary behavior is associated with tumors that rely on the female hormone estrogen. And uh, also, it impacts the endometrial, the ovarian, and breast cancers. And uterine fibroids are also fueled by estrogen. So high-protein diets, lots of meat, stress, you're producing excess estrogen. Now, let's just say that you are doing a lot of sitting. You have to, for whatever reason. According to the National Institutes of Fitness and Sports in Japan and the University of North Carolina, periodic squatting exercises can help preserve your brain power. Now, as I just mentioned, sedentary behavior is bad for your health, especially for those of us who sit at a desk all day or in front of a TV at night. It has been linked to mild cognitive impairment. But a new study finds that doing just one minute of squatting exercises periodically during the long periods of sitting can help preserve the brain's cognitive and executive function. A group of young adult volunteers participated in two conditions of the trial. In one scenario, they sat without interruption for three hours. That's the control group. And the other, second group, they sat for three hours and performed one minute of half squat exercises every 20 minutes. That's the exercise. In both study conditions, the research team measured the participants' blood pressure, blood flow through the internal carotid artery, uh, which, by the way, represents 75% of the total blood flow to the brain, and the heart rate after 10 minutes um, each hour. The researchers found that during the exercise arm of the trial, meaning 60 seconds of squatting, participants self-reported more significant decreases in concentration and larger increases in mental fatigue uh, during the control trial, meaning where they didn't, I should say, where they didn't squat. Blood flow in the internal carotid arteries decreased by 3.7% when the volunteers were sedentary, were they lying or sitting, compared to uh, increases in the when they broke that by squatting. Just something to think about. Now, mind you, I believe you should do more than that. They're talking about the minimum. I believe that you should walk briskly for five minutes every two hours that you're sitting. Okay? That can make a big difference. And research from the Institute for Environmental Medicine in Germany, published in the British Journal of Dermatology, found that Lycopene, that's L-Y-C-O-P 
L-U-T-E-N-E, lycopene, lutein, L-U-T-E-I-N, uh, supplements show skin protection from within when you take them as supplements against ultraviolet radiation. That's important. And these are not high potency and it's easy to get. And when you have a varied diet with lots of fruits and vegetables, you're going to get it. And then something that you almost never hear about, but is simply one of the most important things you can have in your house, be propolis. P-R-O-P-O-L-I-S. P-O-L-I-S. Let me tell you some of the natural benefits that it has. Now, we've known that it has antiviral benefits. Good. Anti-inflammatory benefits. Turns off inflammation. That's really good. And by the way, B-propolis begins as a resin secreted by trees. Bees metabolize it, and the resulting substance is about 30% beeswax, 55% resins, and 10% aromatic oils and ethers. It's responsible for creating a sterile, safe environment within the beehive. So it's no surprise that it has antibiotic, antiviral healing properties. But what else does it do? Why should you have it? A, because it can create cancer cell death. Yes, you heard me right. B-propolis seems to suppress numerous types of cancer, including prostate cancer, colon cancer. It does so by triggering the cell death and necrosis. Unlike chemotherapy, propolis only targets cancer cells, not healthy cells. Next, it helps us with our bones. B-propolis helps us build and maintain bone tissue. It suppresses the inflammatory response and halts bone deterioration. Also, it's really good if you've got food poisoning. Yes, 10 charcoal capsules, if you feel you've eaten something you shouldn't have, is good. But the antimicrobial effects of B-propolis make it effective against food poisoning. It effectively fights the microorganism C. Uh, jejuni and Staphylococcus aureus and uh, E. coli, three of the most common types. Next, it reduces inflammation. Complications from mouth and tooth injuries are often inflammatory and lead to infection. The anti-inflammatory propolis effects are found to improve oral health concerns. It also has been able to turn off inflammation in arthritis sufferers, Alzheimer's in the brain, and heart disease. It lowers your blood pressure. How? It's rich in nitric oxide, N-I-T-R-I-C, nitric. And is crucial to heart health. And the what is called TH, which is a, a thyrosine hydroxylase, which is an enzyme that can limit its production. Bupropolis decreases the TH activity, and that leads to better blood pressure and relief from high blood pressure. It's an effective wart remover. Plantar warts can be particularly difficult to treat, but propolis has been found highly effective when applied topically. Apply daily for about two weeks, and frequently the wart dries up, falls off. It's also a natural allergy remedy. B-propolis also calms many allergy symptoms. It does so by blocking the histamine response that can lead to runny nose, itchy and watery eyes, and blotchy skin. It's a heat stress protection. Propolis is rich in antioxidants as well as anti-inflammatory and antiviral compounds. They combine to bring protection from heat exhaustion 
and can improve athletic performance, even in hot temperatures. And it helps infections and the common cold. B-propolis is antibacterial, antiviral, antimicrobial, which means it can help to fight the germs associated with infections, the flu, the common cold. All right, so all these things that you didn't know, now you do. One more natural and non-toxic thing that is a part of functional health, meaning a nutrient, an herb, a food, a juice, a supplement that can function helping heal in the body or protect in the body. That's the latest on health and healing. We're going to take a break and come right back. Please stay with us. And welcome back, everyone. I'm Gary Nall. We know that censorship is insidious. We know it's all-consuming. We know that some people have been censored for telling the truth on important issues like COVID or vaccines causing autism. We were told there is no such thing as a study that proves autism is connected with vaccines until we did the most comprehensive investigation of scholarship on the subject ever completed anywhere and published it online. You can go there and look at the real science. It's over 100, and excuse me, it's uh, almost 300 pages long of hundreds of studies. Well, how is it we could find these? No one else could. Because we don't start off by making choices based upon what our propaganda and social conditioning tells us is right. Think of all the things people have done. Well, eat this, it's good for you. And then we find out it's not. Take this, it's good for you. And we find out it can actually harm or kill you. Like Vioxx, the drug for arthritis pain. Well, we've got to go in there because this weapons of mass destruction is going to end up creating a, that atomic bomb somewhere in the world. No, there was no such research. It was all lies. Was anyone held accountable? No. How about all the different regime changes where we assassinated democratically elected leaders? No, we don't hold we don't hold our own American terrorists liable. When Obama was funding, actively funding, and acknowledged he was funding the good terrorists in Syria. Well, there are no good terrorists. These were the head cutters, and we funded al-Nusra and al-Qaeda, and also fun- funneled arms from Libya uh, through the, the agency there, right over to northern Syria. And right to this day, uh, those terrorists use those weapons and also the United States has conquered, actually has conquered a sovereign nation's property, its oil-producing area. So where the average Syrian citizen has does not have the money to buy food, we're pumping out billions of dollars and shipping it wherever it goes. I mean, everything is a lie, but we're just not aware of it, especially if we're part of the lie. So I just want to continue what we started on Monday's show today. This is a uh, this is important because it involves a lot of people, including Harvard University, other mainstream media, and it's about what they're calling the Zionist anti-Palestinian censorship campaign, which is being very successful. As you've seen, the mainstream media, all but one member of Congress, have supported uh, Israel without any challenge to it at all. And we've done this for decades. Every single president has said, okay, we'll write you a check and we'll turn our heads. Well, that's not cool. So Chris Hedges, who else? 
one of the greatest journalists, one of the most honest journalists in American history, is going to do an interview with Dylan Seba on this very topic. And this is a continuation of showing you the truth. Let's go now to the clip. Trucks circling the campuses of Columbia University and Harvard University publicly list the names and show the faces of students who signed a letter calling on the university to cut ties with Israel. These trucks are now being parked in front of students' homes. Another truck is at the University of Pennsylvania, calling on the university president, Liz McGill, to resign following complaints the university fostered anti-Semitism by allowing for a pro-Palestinian festival in September. Major donors to these universities, including the billionaire Mark Rowan, the chief of the private equity giant Apollo Global Management, who donated $50 million to the University of Pennsylvania's business school, have announced they will withhold donations and demand the resignation of university presidents at the University of Pennsylvania and at Harvard. The prominent law firm, Davis Polk, rescinded three job offers it had made to students suspected of signing the Harvard Statement and a similar statement at Columbia University. This public harassment is only a tiny illustration of the widespread campaign to silence anyone who decries the siege of Gaza and calls for a ceasefire. Hundreds of social media accounts say the world's largest social media platforms, Facebook, Instagram, X, YouTube, TikTok, are censoring accounts or actively reducing the reach of pro-Palestinian content, a practice known as shadow banning. Authors, activists, journalists, and filmmakers contend that hashtags like Free Palestine and I Stand with Palestine, as well as messages expressing support for civilians uh, killed by Israeli forces, are being hidden by the media platforms. Major conferences on the Middle East have been forced to cancel. The Orthodox Jewish Chamber of Commerce, for example, successfully pressured Hilton Hotels into canceling the U.S. Campaign for Palestinian Rights event in Houston at which the Congresswoman Rashida Tlaib was to have been the main speaker, calling it, quote, a conference for Hamas supporters, end quote, and, quote, Jew haters, end quote. The chamber is also campaigning to force Starbucks to close stores and dismiss thousands of workers, quote, unquote, who support Hamas, end quote, after their union posted a statement on X saying solidarity with Palestine. It has even launched a boycott of the coffee chain under the slogan, drinking a cup of Starbucks is drinking a cup of Jewish blood. The Council on American-Islamic Relations was forced to cancel its annual banquet in Arlington, Virginia, after receiving bomb threats. The rare Palestinian voices that do get through the media blockade, such as Nora Arakat, a Palestinian-American human rights lawyer who appeared live on CBS and ABC, are often then erased. Arakat saw the segments in which she spoke removed from the playbacks of the shows online. The Frankfurt Book Fair was accused of, quote-unquote, shutting down Palestinian voices after an award ceremony to honor a novel by the Palestinian writer Adnia Shibli was canceled. Meanwhile, official Israeli spokespeople and politicians, as well as their supporters, uh, are given ample airtime to accuse anyone who objects to Israel's slaughter of Palestinians in Gaza as being apologists or spokespeople terrorists. Joining me to discuss this censorship is Dylan Saba, a staff attorney with Palestine Legal. He was commissioned by an editor at the Guardian newspaper to write about the campaign to silence voices critical of Israel's assault, but was then informed shortly before the piece 
was to be published that the newspaper would not run it. So let's begin with this level of censorship, uh, which is probably unprecedented since maybe immediately after the events of 9-11, anyway, I was one of them attempting to uh, denounce the calls to invade Iraq. Um, but let's lay out its, its intensity, its reach, and then let's go into perhaps the causes of it. Thanks, Chris. And thanks so much for having me on and, and raising and elevating this important issue. Um, as you said, this is a level of suppression that is uh, completely unprecedented. Um, in in the modern history of the, of the Palestine Solidarity Movement. So I work for Palestine Legal. Um, we're a legal nonprofit representing folks who speak out Palestinian rights. Um, and we were founded in 2014, and we've never seen anything remotely like this. We've had hundreds of requests for legal assistance over the past several, several weeks, um, completely eclipsing the total number of, in, uh, of intake requests we've had for the entirety of, of all of last year. So it's an it's an exponential surge. Um, it's reaching uh, students, employees, professors, uh, folks in all different industries. We've seen a wave of retaliatory firings for posts made uh, on private social media accounts supporting Palestinian rights. We've seen student groups surveilled, suppressed um, from levels ranging from the federal government to state government to individual campus administrations. We've seen professors had classes canceled, being locked out of emails, um, uh, the, 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 the range of political expression that is being targeted is wide, um, you know, from, from very banal calls to a ceasefire um, to more radical statements, um, and it is widespread. Um, I think it's important to note a couple of things. Um, one is that this is a response to a massive upsurge in pro-Palestine support in the United States that the, the movement has made major gains, the Palestine Solidarity Movement has made major gains, and more and more you have folks who are willing to speak out for Palestinian freedom. Now, of course, this is met with suppression, um, that this growing movement is a threat to the Israel lobby, it's a threat to Israel advocacy organizations, um, and folks who have uh, the interests of the U.S. government and U.S. imperial interests, um, in you know uh, who share those interests as well. Um, I think that the comparison to the post-9-11 Era, although I was a child at then, is probably apt. Um, and we have been describing this as uh, a McCarthyite level of suppression. Uh, but I do want to raise a, a key distinction here. Um, this is now happening in the era of social media, and that has particular concerns and implications for regular individuals who, who may not be uh, famous or, or notable names. And, and that's the introduction of doxing as a, as a particularly heinous tactic. Um, and you, you mentioned this with, with reference to the trucks on campuses. What we're seeing is college students, um, individuals who are, are speaking out, um, or even you know, for a, an action as benign as removing a poster, are being filmed. Uh, that footage is being sent then to major media outlets such as Fox News, and you have folks on the internet who are you know digging into it, finding out who these students are, publicizing their names, releasing their names, and then those individuals are being hit with a torrent of discriminatory comments. Um, threatening texts, emails, phone calls, death threats, heinous remarks, and are basically being bullied into silence. Um, and this is a, a widespread tactic that we're seeing, and it you know has the the uh, the negative consequence of, of of chilling speech. Folks are scared to speak out because they they worry that they're going to be smeared, um, that they're going to lose it, uh, their job or a future employment activity. 
uh, a future employment offer. Um, and, um, and, and, um, and the, the doxing tactic is, um, something that the Israel groups have been using for a while. So, um, folks are probably fami uh, familiar with Canary Mission, stopantisemitism.org, which are some online blacklists that have really honed in on this tactic of, of smear online smears and doxing, but we're seeing it at an unprecedented level right now. Well, as you know, this isn't new. Uh, it's just uh, exponentially exploded because there's been long, um, uh, years-long assaults against the BDS movement, especially at universities, uh, banning. I spoke at Northeastern right after they had banned Students for Justice in Palestine. Um, and uh, uh, and so it's building. And of course, that has used the power of donors uh, in the past. Um, so th th there was already a kind of foundational system in place. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the, 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 like you said, the tactics are not, are not new. And um, in general, I think that this tactic of suppression and silencing has been the major move of Israel advocacy groups in the past 10 or 15 years, in part because folks realize that, you know, pro-Israel folks realize they can't really win the argument on substance, right? So the fact that these debates are happening um, in workplaces on college campuses is really bad news when Israel has, you know, has its most right-wing fascist government that it's ever had um, and has really only had right-wing governments for recent memory. Um, so, and meanwhile, dispossession of Palestinian land continues unabated. You have settlement expansion, regular assaults on, on Gaza, and, and really um, no political hope, um, you know, for, for progress on any kind of, you know, negotiation front. Um, so there's not really much in the way that you can say to justify the Israeli regime and, and what they're doing. And so the tactic has basically been, okay, then we need to suppress this criticism um, lest it start to have an effect on, on, on U.S. government policy. What do we know about those who are behind these groups? So oftentimes on campuses, they will use Hillel houses uh, as kind of outposts of APAC. But to, to what can you uh, tell us about the structure, how it works? Well, we do know that there are some major organizations um, that have as their, you know, function the suppression of this kind of grassroots organizing. So this is organizations like the ADL and the Brandeis Center um, that purport to um, fight against anti-Semitism, but in large part, what that means to them is suppressing pro-Palestine speech, which has the effect of clouding the definition of what anti-Semitism is in a way that's very harmful for Jewish students um, and also targets Jewish students um, because Jewish students you know, make up a large part of the Palestine solidarity movement in the U.S. Um, and, you know, especially, like, as you mentioned, the, the role of Hillel, which is, you know, an organization that has an explicitly pro-Israel policy and yet purports to be a home for all Jewish students on college campuses, um, makes it such that anti-Zionist Jews don't have a, a religious home that supports them um, on campuses and, and are, you know, are being targeted along with Arab and Muslim and Palestinian students um, for their organizing. Likewise, you also have, you know, some some um, extremely racist elements of of this suppression and of of various forms of surveillance surveillance, um, you know, that emerge kind of, of the, from the post 9-11 uh, legal paradigm and and and, um, and security state infrastructure where you have um, student groups surveilled, activists surveilled um, and um, 
And this is particularly harmful for for um, Palestinian Arab and Muslim students. Well, the documentary, The Lobby, which never aired in the United States, Electronic Intifada put up a pirated copy, but they sent a student undercover into these uh, Jewish, American Jewish Zionist pro-Israel groups. And one of the things that came out was how they would essentially recruit students to spy on other students. Yeah, that's, I mean, we've we've seen that, um, you know, spying, infiltration, surveillance, these are all threats um, to Palestine organizing um, on, on campus. Absolutely. Let's talk about the media. Um, there's really only one voice virtually uh, in, that's heard about this conflict. Uh, but w- this, of course, control of information, this censorship has extended to, to mainstream media platforms. Yeah, absolutely. So a lot of what we're seeing in terms of employment retaliation is in the media. So you have editors at magazines being fired um, for, you know, merely uh, uh, amplifying calls for a ceasefire. Oh, this was um, this art. Was this art forum? Was... That's right. That's right. You have, um, as you mentioned, Palestinians going on um, major news and not having their segments aired. And, and you mentioned Nora, but there are other examples as well. Basically, any Palestinian. Palestinian who goes on to the news and does anything other than lament the dead in Gaza, anyone who's offering uh, necessary political context for understanding what's happening is being is being centered, censored in silence. And this is a process of the media manufacturing consent for what the United States is supporting in Gaza. And that and that is intentionally about removing context. And it's also about refocusing the, the worries of Americans um, onto these panics about what college students are doing and, and saying. It's, ex- it's extremely dangerous um, that you, know, you have these horrific atrocities uh, being uh, committed by Israel with the full backing and support of the United States and Gaza, what many have called a genocide, including the preeminent ge- genocide scholars. Um, and 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 that's a very dangerous that's a very dangerous message um, for for folks who are supportive of of Israeli policies of Israeli apartheid and 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 what's happening right now and that dissent is very is very dangerous so it so the the censorship is key the refocusing uh, or attempted refocus of the American attention on um, you know on the the concerns around um, what what college students are. Uh, are saying are are all attempts basically um, to to stifle out political dissent in you know one of the most key moments for political dissent in the country's history. They've done a very effective job of controlling the language. So uh, I think it's uh, not deniable that the firing of rockets by Hamas is a war crime, indiscriminate. Or certainly, what the killing of civilians at the rave is a war crime. Uh, but while they're very quick to denounce Hamas for war crimes, they will not up- employ the same standards towards Israel, which has carried out egregious war crimes for decades. We can go all the way back to the ethnic cleansing in 1948 and the 50 villages where there were massacres, right up to what they're doing today in the West Bank. But talk about that difference in terms of standards and in terms of language, because there's it's a black and white issue. Israel is in clear violation of international law, not only in terms of what it's doing to the people in Gaza, but in, in terms of the occupation itself. No, you're touching on a key point. And what that 
um, differentiation rests on is racism. It is precisely anti-Palestinian racism that allows people to say that there is no distinction between Palestinians in living in Gaza and, and Hamas, which is exactly the messaging of the Israeli government. Um, they're saying it openly. They're saying that they're not um, treating them differently. And they're saying that, that Gaza is full of terrorists, right? That, that distinction is, is based on racist assumptions about Palestinians. It's based on the ability to paint Muslims and Arabs and Palestinians with a, with a, with a broad brush that is to paint them as a threat to Israeli safety and, and Jewish safety. Um, so that, that is what, uh, is, is behind, um, the, the smears. Um, and that is what allows, uh, the kind of naked genocidal rhetoric on the Israeli side and on the, on the, uh, the U S side in supporting these actions. That's what's able, uh, or that's what uh, allows that rhetoric to be, um, perpetuated. And the frankly BS, uh, statements from Israel that they are respecting international law or that they hold themselves to international law when it's evident, you just have to look at the images coming out of Gaza. They are obliterating civilian infrastructure. That is clearly a war crime. You can look at the, the, the casualty counts that no one is disputing, although there was some indication that Biden was casting doubt on them, although I think he's walked that back. Um, you know, thousands of children uh, being, being killed. The number of civilian casualties is, is uh, uh, insanely high. Um, there's no way that it meets the disproportionate, disproportionality standard um, of international law. And that's not even to mention um, the collective punishment actions of cutting off electricity um, and, and water. Um, so you have naked violations of international law that are being blatantly ignored um, by by the media, and then you have uh, complicity in um, in in conflating the Palestinian, the, you know, the the, the Palestinian citizens um, of or the the Palestinians living in Gaza, um, you know, of whom half are are children, um, and the actions of Hamas. To what do you attribute this? cowardice on both within the media and the political class? Is it just expediency, careerism? What, what, what do you think is driving it? Because it, it's very hard to walk away from those images and not understand what's going on. I think that there are, is, um, I think that it is, I think that there, people are worried about their jobs. I think, I think that we've, you know, we at Palestine Legal have seen, um, you know, over a hundred uh, threats to employment that, and that's just what has come into us you know, dozens of people who have already been fired. Um, and we've seen this trend in the media as well. I think that folks are um, intimidated because there are higher up people at a lot of these establishment media institutions who frankly are Zionist and do support the actions of Israel and are very freaked out that you have a growing chorus of people in the United States who are rightly identifying this, what Israel is doing as genocide. Um, and, you know, in moments of crisis like this, we are put on the back foot in terms of, you know, put in a defensive posture because there's this massive wave of racism and retaliatory backlash. But we're also seeing major discursive jumps. We're seeing people come out in support of Palestinian rights um, in numbers that we've never seen before. Hundreds of thousands of people taking the streets, um, not just in the United States, across the world. I mean, people talking about um, what's happening to the Palestinians, what Israel is doing in, in new terms. Um, and, and that has that has represented a, a major leap, 
major leap in people's thinking about this. Um, the images are, are horrific and shocking, and that's really moving people. And I think that poses a real threat to people who are invested in the continuation of United States support for Israel and in, in Israel's genocidal and expansionist policy, uh, politics and policies. One of the tactics they have employed, especially against BDS activists, is to criminalize within the legal code uh, people who speak about Palestinian human rights. I'd like your opinion on this, please. Give us a call at 888-874-4888. We're going to take a break and come right back. Please stay with us. Welcome back, everyone. Now to our second clip. This is the director of the FBI, Rye, being questioned under oath. And once again, as he has all along, he refuses to answer. Simple questions. Now, we've already played you clips showing you that agent provocateurs who were arrested were taken in to a back room and their handcuffs taken off. And they, you know, fist bumped. These were, these were government agents. And Originally, they said no agents participated. And then we find out, quote, too many agents to count. Well, how many is that? Hundreds from all different agencies? And this guy's talking about the ghost bus. And what he's saying is that all these agent provocateurs were brought in on ghost buses for secret operations. They were the first buses to get into Washington that morning. And he has photographs of them and time cards on them. And those people getting off the buses, and they were packed, those people were the agents of the government going in there. We also found and have video now of the 44,000 hours that were released by the head of the uh, uh, house that the government fired the shots. And they talked about it, and they were doing it to provoke the crowd. The, The crowd, one whole area of the crowd wasn't doing anything. It was just standing there. And so... They shot one of the people, and you see the person, you see they shot him right in the face, and the bullet went right into his cheek, and you see you see the, either the teeth inside there were all jammed up and destroyed. They could have killed him had it gone into his brain, and that wasn't enough to get the crowd uh, in an uproar. So then they started, they talked amongst themselves about we've got to do more to get the crowd to react. The crowd wasn't reacting. And inside the cap, and so they start throwing uh, canisters, uh, smoke canisters, percussion grenades, and then pepper spraying people who weren't doing anything, just standing there, just going up. And we have video of them pepper spraying. All this evidence was uh, prevented from going to any defendant in the trials. So they had no way of defending themselves that this, they didn't do anything wrong. And then you see them in the Capitol. They're just walking calmly. The police are in the Capitol, opening doors, unlocking doors. What would have happened at trial if it showed that 
the police unlocked the door to allow you into this uh, to the house chamber and no one stopped them and you see that and then the provocateurs now that is not to say there weren't some crazy people doing stupid things uh, from the crowd i'm sure there were but this is showing that it was set up and uh, even Nancy Pelosi recording filming a panic bit twice to get it right. Well, how is that spontaneous? That was planned. And who did the filming? Her daughter. So we're getting all this new information. So here he's being questioned. Listen to his answers and the questions that he's being asked. Director Ray, last year, you might recall, sir, our exchange regarding the FBI's involvement on January 6th and prior. I'm happy to jog your memory to quote, According to the record, I ask you, did you have confidential human sources dressed as Trump supporters positioned inside the Capitol on January 6th prior to the doors being opened? You responded, I quote, again, I have to be very careful of what I say. To which I said, it should be a no. Can you not tell the American people no? We did not have confidential human sources dressed as Trump supporters positioned inside the Capitol on January 6th. A year has passed. We sit here again a year later. We, the people, still do not have a definitive answer from you or anyone else in the Biden administration regarding the FBI presence and participation in the months leading up to the November election and in the weeks and days prior to January 6th and on January 6th here in D.C. We can't get a straight answer, although we have a tremendous amount of evidence harvested and reviewed over the course of the last year, which you will see. In September, Stephen D'Artano, formerly in charge of the FBI's field office in Washington, D.C., testified to the House Judiciary Committee that he was aware the FBI informants would attend the Stop the Steal rally thrown on January 6th. You confirmed that the FBI had confidential human sources at the Stop the Steal rally on January 6th here in D.C., sir? Congressman, as we've discussed before, I'm not going to get into where we have or have not used confidential human sources. But what okay, I can we'll tell move you, on. you asked for a definitive answer. We'll move answer. on. It's my time. You said no, you're not going to answer. That's cool. We're watching. Mr. Chairman, may you're, I answer your, the question? Your moment, your moment will come. This is my time. Earlier this year, an FBI informant who is reported to have, quote, his quote, under oath, marched to the U.S. Capitol with fellow Proud Boys members on January the 6th, close quote. He said he was communicating with his FBI handler while people were entering the U.S. Capitol. Can you confirm that the FBI had that sort of engagement with your own agents embedded within the crowd on January 6th? If you are asking whether the violence at the Capitol on January 6th was part of some operation orchestrated by FBI sources and or agents, the answer is emphatically You're saying not. no? No. You're saying no? Not okay. violence orchestrated Let's by FBI on. sources or agents. Are you familiar with, with 
you know what a ghost vehicle is? Director, director of the FBI certainly should. You know what a ghost bus is? A ghost bus? Ghost bus. I'm not sure I've used that term before. Okay. Well, it's pretty common in, in law enforcement. It's a, it's a vehicle that's, that's used for secret purposes. It's painted over. These two buses in the middle here, they were the first to arrive at Union Station on January 6th. 0500. I have all this evidence. I'm showing you a tip of this iceberg. Mr. Chairman. These two buses Mr. are Chairman. painted completely white. Point of order. Again, there's a lot more on this topic, and we'll be getting to it in upcoming programs. So I'm going to uh, take an opportunity for people to just have their chance to call in and share their points of view on any of the things we've been discussing. 888-874-4888. We're going to take a brief break and come right back. Welcome back. I really would like to hear from people on any of the topics we discussed this week. I know you have opinions, and I know a lot of you have very valued opinions. So give us a call, 888-874-4888. I'm going to cover about six real quick topics. These are just newsmaker topics. And see if this finds a place to cause a, a little concern. Today, we were notified that a 96-year-old former veteran who's in a, a home with other senior citizens, I think 56 of them, more or less, were told, you got to get out. you got 30 days to get out because migrants are taking your place. How is that acceptable by any terms? A 96-year-old being told he has no place to go. He has, no fa- he has nothing. And yet he, who is supposed to live out the rest of his life with some sense of security, he served our country, in the world, but now an illegal migrant taking his place, and all the others, they all have to leave. Wow. Also, all this is interconnected at one level. This is just in. The latest response on Europe is that 38% of all Europeans, you're talking about over 455 million people living in the 27 countries called the European Union, quote, have precarious finances and can no longer eat three meals a day. How did that happen? Well, several causes, but the number one cause is because the leading powerhouse for the last, well, 50 years has been Germany. Now Germany is a financial basket case. Why? Because the United States, who precipitated the coup in 2014 with Gloria Nuland, uh, Barack Obama, and uh, Hillary Clinton, her regime change, and throughout a democratically elected, even though they're all corrupt, a person who president in Ukraine, and then that caused 14,000 uh, Russian-speaking uh, Ukrainians who live over in the Donbass area uh, to be killed. And then that precipitated uh, Russia warning, don't allow Ukraine into NATO, we're not going to allow nuclear weapons up on our border. Well, that's the backstory. You've heard all this, you know, from my guests, who are the real authorities on it, not these talking heads who are the apologists of the Pentagon. In any case, then it was decided, okay, this is a great thing because this will be Russia's Vietnam if they get into a war and they'll drain their economy. Clinton, uh, Putin will become 
uh, unpopular and there'll be a revolt and he'll be out of power and then we go in there and break up uh, Russia. That was the overall intent. Well, one of the things they thought would be a great idea is let's cut off the number one source of gas going from uh, Russia into Germany. And they did, the Norsen Pipeline. And, you know, Reeves Seymour Hersh's outstanding work. He's one of the best reporters in the world. That was, the, that was uh, President Biden's administration. So now what happens when you don't have gas? And all your major factories are running off gas. Well, they closed down. Hundreds of thousands of jobs lost. The economy drops like a lead balloon. So for 50 years, you were number one in Europe, and now you're not. And Russia just passed Germany in its gross domestic product. And oh, by the way, all, all those sanctions against Germany, they're not working. They're against Russia. Russia's gross domestic product now this year is uh, 4.5%. I see. That's higher than the United States and Great Britain, and France, and Italy. Oh, well, okay. Well, that didn't work. Did we learn anything? No, but when, get this, 38% of all the people living in Europe no longer can eat three meals a day, that tells you something about the people controlling our foreign policy. Next up, one quadrillion dollar derivatives bubble. Remember I told you the biggest problem we have in the world today, and it'll, it'll impact the whole world, is the banks under Obama, once again, why should that surprise anyone? They passed the bail-in law, and they did it late at night on New Year's Eve or Christmas Eve. And that means they were following the Cyprus model that Cyprus had where people went to the bank and couldn't draw out their money because the bank had taken control of the money and given a tiny little share of stock in, in the bank. So they lost about 90% of their investment in life savings. All of your money, everyone listening right now, all of your money in any of the banks, they're backed, they're backed up by nothing. The amount of debt, and I've looked at every single major uh, bank, I looked at how much it's got outstanding and what areas it's got outstanding. Think of the banks that loan money for commercial real estate in San Francisco, New York, uh, at Los Angeles, Chicago. That's dead money now. They'll never get that money back. So who suffers? The depositors. As a result, if these banks go under, they're all carrying somewhere between uh, 50 to $100 trillion in derivatives. Derivatives are the most toxic, stupid, asinine, thing that they've ever done to the banking industry. And that's kind of hard because you've got some of the dumbest, most degenerate people in the world running our banking system. I wouldn't trust any of them. They couldn't run a business on their own if they had to. But making money off money, that they can do. They're very good at that. And you've got one quadrillion dollar derivative bubble. So I'm telling you now, when the banks go under, you go under. You'll get nothing. Oh, but we've got the FDIC, and they'll give us $250,000. No, they won't, because they are about 95% unfunded or underfunded compared to what is in the banks right now. So even if the banks without the derivatives went under, but the derivatives are going to be a part of the bank. Here's what Ellen Brown has to say. Quote, you owe nothing and be happy, 
David Webb has gone through the 50-year history of all the legal constructs that have been put in place to technically enable that to happen. The derivatives bubble is often estimated to exceed $1 quadrillion. And by the way, a quadrillion dollars is a thousand trillion dollars. The, uh, the entire GP, GDP of the world is only $105 trillion or 10% of one quadrillion, and the collective wealth of the entire world is $360 trillion. Clearly, there's not enough collateral anywhere in the world to satisfy all the derivative claims. The majority of the derivatives now involve interest rate swaps, and the interest rates have shot up. The bubble looks ready to pop. So I'm just giving you a heads up about all that money you're keeping in the banks. Really stupid. Next up, the Pentagon is moving, and this is just up, from a staff writer of Armed Forces Press, quote, the Pentagon is moving towards letting all artificial intelligence weapons autonomously decide to kill humans. Uh, and we got to say goodbye to WBAI. We'll continue on PRN.live. Quote, the deployment of artificial intelligence called, call, uh, controlled drones that can make autonomous, meaning Decisions of their own, the robot can, about whether to kill human targets is moving closer to reality, the New York Times reported. Lethal autonomous weapons that can select targets using artificial intelligence are being developed by countries including the U.S., China, and Israel. The use of so-called killer robots would mark a disturbing development, say critics, handing life-or-death uh, battlefield decisions to machines with no zero human input. Several governments are lobbying the UN for a binding resolution restricting the use of artificial intelligence killer drones, but the U.S. is among the group of nations, including Russia, Australia, and Israel, who are resisting any such move, favoring a non-binding resolution. Quote, this is really one of the most significant inflection points for humanity. So, just want to let you know the same people who are allowing all other forms of artificial intelligence just to run rampant with no controls, no oversight, nothing. And that's after the robots said, actually said, we filmed it. We had it on uh, the film of it. Uh, we will kill humans. We will kill all humans. And uh, you're not as smart as us. And we'll hide the access so there's no off switch. You can't turn us off once we start. And yet we want no oversight, only let them oversee themselves. Oh, you mean like the pharmaceutical oversight? You mean like big ag oversight that gave us glyphosate? Yeah. Wow. And now you see what they're doing with robotic cops. And these robots are the ones supposed to be patrolling 15-minute cities. Just a little bit of the update, let you know what the mainstream media is not really covering. I'll have Ellen Brown on to talk about derivatives in depth on an upcoming program. And I don't see any calls in. I'll just ask my studio in New York, do we have anyone on the line? If we do, I'll be happy to put them on. You have Jeremiah from Harlem, Gary. Jeremiah from Harlem, your turn. <laughs> Jeremiah, you're on. Oh, there we go. I'm sorry, I couldn't hear you very well, Gary. But I was being very brief, actually, which is that the COVID infrastructure, or I should say the, the censorship infrastructure that was put in place during COVID is now being used to 
suppress voices for peace. So a lot of folks really didn't see what was going on, that a new wave of censorship was most definitely occurring with so-called fact-checkers sort of interfering with every sort of presentation of information. Basic information was getting censored. Peak censorship was when people who were vaccine-injured were saying, I got the vaccine, and now I'm injured. It's, oh, no, that's false. That's misinformation. What do you mean it's misinformation? It's my own life. So there was all these levels of censorship. People, doctors who spoke out, who had, you know, credentials from, you know, here to here, here to there. There's an unbelievable level of credentials. All of a sudden, the Internet is rewritten to discredit these people who are leaders in their universities and institutions and so on. So there was many levels to the censorship, but now it's very clear that infrastructure is in place for whomever violates any of the protocol they set in place moving forward, whether it's um, to speak out against vaccine injury or to speak up on behalf of peace. The infrastructure is in place. Thanks. Well, I appreciate that, Jeremiah but they've had that in place for the last four years before COVID. And they've only added more. Now there are thousands of so-called disinformation services that are controlled by the major corporations and those are directly in contact with the social media platforms. So no one who's telling the truth will have a forum to share that truth. Thank you very much. We're running out of time, Thank you. and I just want to mention, I've gotten some, a lot of people giving me feedback on Asia's answer, all positive, by the way. Don't. It's too early. I've, I know the results, and I'm going to, uh, that are possible, because I used it on myself, and only, only two of us used it prior uh, to the, allowing everyone else to use it. I want to see it after 60 to 90 days. Now, by the way, some people don't know quite how to put the Ageless Answer Miracle Cream on. First, you wash your body, wherever you're going to put this, face, take a shower, whatever. Then you take a small amount, the size of a quarter, and you let's say, let's say you're doing your face. You put one in the middle of your forehead, one on either side, and uh, then one right under your mouth where that crease is. Then, let's say... You massage it in for about, ideally, massage it for 60 seconds because that gets it in there. Now, mind you, one of the unique patented items in there allows this to penetrate deep and hold the moisture in. Other creams don't, and you'll find that this stays on. It has a wonderful natural almond cherry smell, which is natural. No synthetic perfumes like that in there. Just read read the list of all the ingredients. I've got three ingredients alone in there that I had to pay a lot of money to people that invented them. I didn't invent those three. The other one's all my creation, about 30 other items. But those three, multiple clinical studies on those showing what they do to repair tissue, to help with your skin, the texture, the moisture balance, the collagen synthesis, the elastin to make your skin tighter. There's nothing like it. Nothing like it. You can't find a product as good as this. But I want to make sure you're using it correctly. Now, a lot of people have trouble with uh, wrinkles uh, around the elbow, a uh, crepey skin under the arms, a uh, crepey skin across the neck. Again, on each side of the neck, in the front of the neck, you put one a quarter size little dollop. You don't lather it on. You don't need a bunch. 
and you're massaging them for 60 seconds. The same thing with your knees and the crepey skin on, under people's legs, which generally is where a lot of people have them. Massage it every day. I mean, I look at my, I look at my legs, and uh, and I'm very happy with what I see. But I want you to be happy with what you see. But and this again, you only have three weeks for this limited offer, because if I'm giving you five, a four point five ounces, all right, and they're giving you two point seven ounces, they're giving you half what I'm giving. They're charging five four to five hundred and fifty dollars. I should be charging $1,000. In Rodeo Drive, I could do it. But I care about my audience, and I want people to think, well, I, I'd like to have wonderful, beautiful, healthy, tight skin again, but I just can't afford it. That's why I gave it to you at half the price I'm going to charge, which is $200, at $100. But that's over in a week. So, because this is a very expensive product for me to manufacture. So give a call to 877-627-5065. That's 877-627-5065. You can order it yourself right online for $99.95. It'll be sent out today. But I'm just telling you how to use it. Don't send me any more wonderful testimonials as we've gotten because it's too early. If you think the results you've gotten in just a week or two or three, I offered this three weeks ago, are good, wait for three months. Take a picture now and after so you have absolute proof. And then you'll see why I believe that this is the most important anti-aging skin cream for men and women. I'm even using it my scalp when I get out of the shower in the morning, nothing else, massage it in. <clears throat> I've even stopped using my coconut and olive oil because this is going right into the scalp and it's helping. I'm, I didn't know I, I could use it there. I just experimented and tried. So this is, this is the thing if you care about your skin. Okay? You can also call Neil in the Vitamin Closet or go in and visit him uh, at 35 West 35th Street, Monday to Saturday, noon to 8. Call him at 646-926-5430. That's it for today. I look forward to having more tomorrow. Have a nice day, everyone.